And here we are doing an unexpected intro for part two of the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Why are we doing a part two? Well, I didn't actually record in two parts, friends, but uh, the original recording Monday night went about two hours and 45 minutes, and I still... (laughs) I can't tell you why, but hey, uh, it's a conversational communal thing that we do here each week on the podcast. So, you know... If you want, listen to part two. If you don't, well, there's a part one, and maybe that's enough. Either way, I did want to break this up, so just let's get going and ignore any of the time references uh, in part two here uh, because they don't matter because I broke the show into two parts because I love you and care for you. So thanks again, Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and you for listening, and let's get going with part two. Angry Black Man, also known as at Angry Oscar Love on Twitter. How you doing, Oscar? I love you, by the way. Says, uh, going to my first Indy 500, sorry I won't see you there. What is the one thing I need to do as a first-timer other than go to the race? Don't know when you're getting in, Oscar, right? Not sure if you're going to be getting in Saturday morning and you truly have one day to do something before the race. Not sure if it's going to be multiple days or what. We'll say for sure, go to the museum. And the closer to the race it is that you go, the stronger likelihood it's going to be busy. If you can, get there when it opens and or get there in the last hour where in theory it will have cleared out a little bit. I just find myself always wanting clear space and i'm very fortunate it's a perk of the job to have friends and know people usually once a year during uh, the month of may i will head over and have about an hour to myself with the museum to take photos to do any little videos to do whatever but just to you know usually in the name of doing some sort of photo gallery but i think after 10 years or however long I've been doing it. Um, they've probably also just come to know like, Hey, this guy needs some time with his cars. So assuming that you might not want to be bumping shoulders with everybody and whatnot, get there early, get there late, probably not middle of the day, but just go and spend some time. And if there's one thing that the museum could use more of, and maybe there have been changes since I was last there in 2019, but I forget the name. Is it docent? Whatever the correct term is. Someone, an expert at the museum, who is there, thereabouts in your general proximity, you might be able to ask questions to say, hey, I see the car, I see the name, I get, I get all that. Can you tell me either just a little more about it in general or... More the technical side. Hey, whoa, those tires are crazy. <laughs> like uh, the tread width is as wide as like my ATM card. How? What? Could you tell me about that? Or hey, that front suspension, I don't know what it is, but it looks cool. Can you tell me what it is? Like just, it's the only thing that I've thought would maybe enhance the experience for some because you either get the super obsessive know everything type 
who can tell you what the little handwritten lettering on the tires means and the names of all the different fasteners on the car. And, well, you see, this is the ninth paint job on this, and its original base coat was done, and, da, 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 and you go, well, how do you know this? You tend to either get the super obsessives or the, I don't know exactly what I'm looking at, but it's really cool and I'd like to learn more. And I, again, maybe if my wife and I get old and decide to retire to Indianapolis, uh, maybe that's something I can do as I get older. Just be the guy that answers obscure things and talks about the cars, maybe even talks to the cars. That might already happen. Not knowing how long you're going to be there, Oscar, hit the museum for sure. If you're going to be there a little longer or have the willingness to drive, uh, I believe you can see some pretty cool sprint midget dirt track type stuff. Lucas Oil Raceway, a.k.a. IRP as well. Uh, There's a memorabilia show going on that I'll mention a little bit more in detail once it gets closer. Uh, That's not taking place right behind the pagoda as it has for the past 10 years or so uh it's moved to a different site um if you're a total nerd like me go to that and spend money or don't because maybe i'll be jealous because you will have bought things that i would have wanted to buy um i mean i'd say going and experiencing some authentic midwest indiana short oval racing and the indy 500 and the museum in a single trip I'd say that you'd be winning a lot right there. Of course, there's going to be some of the local food joints that folks say, you got to go here, you got to go there. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Um, your Long's Donuts are amazing. Uh, the Mug and Bun, you're never going to need an oil change again in your life. Uh, the Working Man's Friend, excellent hamburgers. And, you know, there's some key spots to hit like that would also just say that if you live in a town that has more than 50 people in it, you probably find similar, right? Like you probably find the things that you love in those regard where you live that might not be too far removed from what you're going to find there. So, you know, uh, go and get the things that you can't get wherever you happen to live. My man, that would be, uh, that would be my two cents. Uh, where are we going next? Stitch Turner, just wanted to share my plan for starting order in case qualifying gets rained out. Crew Chief Tire Tossing Competition, how far could you toss a Firestone? Oh, Stitch Turner, I love you, man. Don't ever change. And please keep sending in stuff like this. because <laughs> ah, It's the best. Uh, let's see. Real Lentz from Reddit, or Rhea Lentz. I, I, I never know. Reddit screen names are always my favorite, so I don't know if it's real ents, Rhea Lentz, or Relents, or all three. I don't know. I don't know, but I love it. Marshall, thanks for all you do. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of what I, I do what I do like you do what you do, so thanks for what you do, too. Uh, second time submitting this and really wanted to get your thoughts. I was surprised to see a handful of the series more prominent drivers fail to acknowledge the passing of Bobby Unser through their common means of doing such things. Uh, Twitter said Rossi Hinch, Marco, Ryan Hunter Ray, Bourdais Dixon says he rarely tweets though. 
Pagano and more. What gives? Does the series have an issue with its stars not knowing or caring enough about its history? Don't they realize the only reason the season is still here today and they're able to participate in the greatest spectacle in racing is because of its rich past? I know I sound like the get-off-my-lawn guy, but this hit a nerve. Well, this is another instance where I'm having to take your word on things, uh, relents. I did not track or monitor who said what or didn't say what in relation to Uncle Bobby's passing. I'm not totally sure if you're referencing here of Twitter uh, and then a semicolon and then like six drivers' names, if those were just the ones you found that did mention something, therefore it's the others who didn't that you're referring to, or if those are some that you noticed did not and you called them out by name, I don't know. Uh, None of that was provided here. I'd say in the case of Uncle Bobby couple things 87 when he passed last time he raced an indy car was 1982 so for the vast majority of drivers competing today they weren't alive or if they were they were in diapers or toddlers or you know so super young that they would probably have no recollection and no attachment to him. So maybe keep that in mind just to start. The counter to that would be, so um, Bruce McLaren was gone way before Scott Dixon was born, like way before, and yet that's a hero. Uh, we could run down the list of, I'm sure, in this with a lot of drivers, where you go, well, hey, they're fans of this person or that person, but um, you know, maybe they didn't know them or were super young, but found them later uh, in life and became heroes. Okay, I get that. Um, just say don't underestimate that Bobby, a legend without a doubt, huge name, right? Huge name. In IndyCar racing. Been a long time, though, since he was in and around IndyCar racing. More than just showing up for the Indy 500, you know, uh, latter stages of practice, getting closer to qualifying type thing. Um, Would also say, to my recollection... Uncle Bobby is not someone who spent a lot of time trying to connect with all of the drivers. And he obviously made connections with a number of drivers. But I would say if you're trying to go down to like, does Marcus Erickson really know who Bobby Unser is? Have they ever met? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Does Alex Pillow have any idea? Does Dalton Kellett have any idea? Does so on, right? Work down the list and go. Just maybe keep in mind the time and era and the, the separation. Definitely a legend and hero to those who knew him or of that era or the drivers who have a, a deep passion for history. I see this stuff and it gets mentioned seemingly once a week of the young 
stick and ball sports star who is asked, Hey, you know, your game looks a lot like name some legend of the sport from the 1980s or maybe even 1990s. And this guy, this kid's born in 2000. Hey, your game looks a lot like so-and-so's, you know, what do you think? And the person goes, who? And there's uproar. Oh my God. I can't believe young prospect person a has never heard said they've never heard of so-and-so and and what oh uh, yeah he was like my dad or my oh i think my grandpa said he liked him and you go oh my god even worse look how disconnected and the disrespect to history i get it uh you know i've always been a person that's looked to the past and tried to keep it as present as possible and, and maintain links to history and blah 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 i also realize that not everybody's that way um I wish that wasn't the case, but I would definitely say I think it's just more normal than anything, especially for a driver, especially for a driver whose impact on the sport and regular presence in the paddock is really very much a thing of the past. You flip that and go, well, what about, you know, Mario Andretti? Mario's there every weekend. <laughs> Mario's there every weekend, right? And so everybody knows, all the drivers know him. If he were to pass, oh, my goodness, there'd be a, oh, right? It's crazy to think the outpouring that would come. It's because he's still here and remains an active part of things knowing that Uncle Bobby is at the speedway, but not exactly tooling up and down pit lane constantly. You know, he may have met, say, every driver in the field, but shaking someone's hand and saying hi, like, that. Does, you met somebody. That doesn't mean you know somebody. It means that you exchange pleasantries with someone, and that's the sum total. Maybe you shared one minute's worth of a conversation. What do most people say? Oh, hey, what do you think? Oh, it was a nice guy. Well, of course. <laughs> what are they going to do in that one minute? I hate you. I'm going to kill it. Like, that doesn't happen. So in one minute of shaking hands and talking a little bit, like you go, okay, cool. I met this person. Yeah, they seem really nice. That doesn't backfill decades of memories and history and whatnot. So I hope this isn't coming across as making excuses. I'm just trying to shed some light on the fact that for some retired drivers, great, great drivers who are around more, they probably have a stronger connection with the majority of the current field who, in the untimely passing of their life, probably elicit some sort of response. Um, last thing or two to throw in here and it's a subtle and nuanced topic so I, i do appreciate you opening it up what's the thing i hear from a lot of drivers these days man we get hammered for everything right whether it's our team saying we shouldn't have said this a sponsor complaining about that uh or just fans ripping us to shreds the it's easier and safer to just not post if I don't feel like I really know what I'm talking about or what I should say. And this goes far beyond just a driver passing, but we'll leave that door closed for the moment for this episode. Um, 
I don't really know what to say without sounding wrong or bad or not saying the right thing or man Bobby Unser was a true hero an amazing legend of the sport who gave so much which is kind of a generic thing to say like I can tell you there are many drivers who if they were to write that while not really knowing Uncle Bobby and hitting send on it would be just wetting themselves for the night hoping no one pushes back oh no hey man thank you for saying that really appreciate it what's the number one thing you believe bobby gave back and that person has a heart attack because they just got called out because they posted something that wasn't really genuine and they just did it because they felt like maybe they should and then they got called on it and they don't know what to say like These little mini episodes and traumatic fear explosions, I just tell you, they go through a lot of drivers' minds these days uh, because things are so hyper, cancelly, angry, red state, blue state, mask, no mask, like all the, oh my God, right? Just, I don't even want to talk about anything, uh, nothing. So even if it's a guy who I know is an indie legend and so on, but I don't really know him. I don't want to say anything to that could be come across come across wrong, get called out on. Um, it's just easier not to say anything. Just don't underestimate that. Am I saying that's right? No, but is it real? And does it something that everybody, myself included, really considers with every single tweet? Um, probably. Uh, maybe the last item to mention on this. The the indie car side you mentioned does the series have an issue with its stars not knowing or caring enough about its history don't assume anyone looking at this stuff knows themselves or cares right i don't know if that's a criticism or just an acknowledgement of reality there are some folks in indycar's greater marketing and pr department who absolutely know their history and can tell you all the nuts and bolts used on uncle bobby's 1978 such and such and so on and so forth right there are some folks who know their really really know their stuff probably their bosses not so much their bosses wondering about hey a legend of our sport died who within our series and our drivers is really going to the effort to pay tribute and how many of our drivers have or haven't tweeted something and how many are demonstrating this, that, or the other to show that they have a grasp of our past and to appease the many fans who seem to know and care about the past. Yeah, I do not believe that person exists within IndyCar. Uh, at any level, much less communications, PR, to then do an accounting of who did or didn't say something, have an opinion on why those who didn't are doing something negative for the series standing, and then make comments about it. I think this is an empty room with nobody in it on this topic. I don't think a single person thought a one lick about it because there's the Indy 500 coming up and just to be real cold about it willing to bet a lot of money in the fact that instead of thinking about something like this 
We've got a lot of folks trying to get a lot of work done to get ready for the Indy 500. And can tell you that when they had folks like Steve Shunk as a part of the uh, communications department who really did tie the past to the present and was doing really smart, important work to keep history and present and future all orbiting one another and dedicating a lot of importance to uh, keeping all these areas alive so that as many fans as possible could be made happy. Uh, I think there'd be a lot more almost as close to hundred percent as you're ever going to get uh, with someone like Steve there, but they decided he was no longer needed there. Uh, we're going to go to branch Ricky farms in the barrel grip road to Indy question of the week. I like that you said you're going to send one in to make sure the show's re- the series is represented every week. I don't know if you know it, but it's quite often represented in a big part of my past. Uh, Indy Lipes. Indy Lipes? Sure. Indy Lights seems to be a clear top tier of David Malukas, Linus Lundqvist, and Kyle Kirkwood thus far. What's your take? Do you agree? Do you see someone different? Who's most likely to be in IndyCar next year? More than one. Thank you. Love the podcast. Thank you. Uh, going to take another sip of beer. Thing that I'm looking forward to finding out more than anything is what kind of response Andretti Autosport does or does not have within it to see if the newly formed four car, you got to call it a super team because they've been operating like a super team with three out of four wins so far. The uh, GRG, GRG HMD team. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to see if Andretti is capable of getting back to what we expect for them. Kyle Kirkwood getting a win. Great. Uh, did I think he'd have two or three by now? Yes. Uh, the fact that he doesn't is adding some spiciness to the uh, the Lights Championship so far. This weekend, obvious statement alert, going to be important. Um, yeah. I mean, come on. Uh I'm wanting to see what Stingray Rob has. I know that our reigning Indy Pro 2000 champ been someone who uses multiple seasons and a road to Indy level before getting the best out of himself. I'd say that's not bad if we're talking USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000. Those are, again, the real true development levels of the road to Indy by the time you get to Indy lights. I mean, if it's not a maximum two year plan, maximum, um, I don't know if we're ever going to have to seriously consider you as a, uh, championship contender, a couple exceptions, of course, but those who are true, holy crap standouts, they tend to let you know the first year and probably don't need a second. Some cases you do need that second, but, just saying, Stingrays, yeah, I'm going to put in a lot of years, lower levels. It's great. Uh, I would say that plan, need to abandon that mindset if it's there at all. So be interesting to see if, uh, if Stingray is capable of uh, becoming a stronger force in his rookie season of Indy Lights for sure. Um Robert McGinnis, 
Andretti side, definitely curious to see what he is able to ratchet up. Would say that this year is going to tell us whether Robert, who I love, is an amazing kid, this year is going to tell us whether we should continue talking about Robert as a potential IndyCar driver or if that conversation comes to a very, very final conclusion and we start talking about Robert as a sports car driver and someone who maybe does Indy 500 each year or a limited number of road courses and the 500, but um, definitely hasn't been the start of the year that he would want. So those are two names for sure that I would say keep an eye out on. Alex Peroni, rookie as well, who's learning tracks and learning tons of stuff at every event. All I know of Peroni is he is expected to be a beast. Carlin coming back, um, I would say they're definitely in a learning mode. Um, they've been gone a couple of years, so I wasn't expecting them to come back and be front runners, but I would say that when they are able to find their mojo, uh, I do expect Peroni to show us something. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much we're going to see in year one team. Again, not a new team to Indy lights, obviously, but effectively like a new team having to get back up, get into gear and get this rookie uh, you know, up to speed and figured out. Devlin DeFrancesco, he has been super, super consistent. I know that uh, obviously uh, that opening round at St. Pete was the only little blip on his radar, but a uh, couple of thirds and a fifth, I believe, out of four races, that's pretty darn good for a rookie as well. Got a lot of rookie rookie talent here. So that's maybe the, the biggest thing I'm couching expectations in and around. Uh, Malukas, returning kid, obviously second year. Uh, McGinnis, I'll just say veterans. McGinnis coming back as a veteran. Toby Sowery coming back as a veteran. Um, other than that, you do by and large have a lot of pups who are, are really having to learn a ton there is a reality you have to acknowledge here. And that is like formula one, uh, indie light success is very team based. I mean, there's very few haves and a vast majority of have nots, uh, Hunkos, a, a very well pedigreed indie lights team don't appear to be the sharpest of tools right now to start the season. Sowery, I think if we're talking about chucking him into an Andretti car, a GRG or an HMD entry, knowing that he's kind of come from the HMD side, but chuck Toby into one of those, you know, race winning teams so far this year, I think he's got one of those wins. What I hope, what I fear a little bit is it takes Hunkos a little bit too long to get there. And Toby, who, what is this, his third season now, I believe? Um, You know, he can't really afford to have a bit of an anonymous season. So you take the rookies and you go, okay, even if you don't have a great year, provided you can afford it, come back year two. And, you know, we're not going to make any harsh claims. 
if uh, the Daniel Frosts and Stingray Robs and, you know, uh, Bogles and whatnot aren't just blazingly fast. I know Linus is a serious talent. He was before he came over to the States. Not surprised he's doing as well as he is. Malukas is the one surprise for me. Uh, from what I have observed of his races in person and watched on the good old streaming methods, he's been good. I did not paint him as a two-time race winner out of the first three races and leading the points type good. You know, not every race has been 100% clean this year, so on and so forth, but he's the one person that surprises me so far this year. I would say it's hard to predict whether Benjamin Pedersen's going to flex his rookie muscles or not. Um, I think Devlin DeFrancesco has a win or two, a couple wins in him. I don't know if he has a title run in his rookie season. Feels like that might be a little bit of a stretch right now. Um, there, There's a little bit of animal uh, that's in his teammate Kyle Kirkwood that I'm still hoping is there to be unleashed in Devlin. Uh, Devlin's feeling a little more Simon Pagano right now uh, of always there, thereabouts, but is he scaring the poop out of his rivals with his fearsome speed at all times? Not quite yet, but again, I'm hoping that becomes the case for him. So I like where we're at. Malukas holding on to the points lead for the season and winning the title. I think that might be, if he does, that's going to be a hell of a story. I think Lundqvist and Kirkwood are going to be the ones who really start getting into a hellacious battle. If Malukas can hold on to what he's got, I like that three-way battle. Um... Again, it's really a little bit team-limited for me to throw in some of the others who I thought, well, I know should be running higher but aren't because their teams are having to get better. Uh, McGinnis is the only one who jumps out as a veteran who I thought would be higher up. I figured he'd be probably fourth in the standings right now instead of Devlin. Um, he hasn't had a, you know, a year free of adversity, but... I like where we're at. Uh, what I'm curious to find here, Branch Ricky Farms and the Barrel Grip, is will a driver in Indy Lights take claim of the season? Those are the ones we remember. <laughs> Those are the ones we talk about in IndyCar and go, holy crap, oh, wow. Right? And even if they didn't win the championship, you go, all right, well, these two were the, the Titans who knocked each other out round after round after round. And, of course, someone's going to win the title. Someone's going to lose. But together, wow, these two are going forward. Can't tell you if it's going to be one driver, two, three, whatever the number is. But I really do hope what we don't end up with is Kyle won a couple, Linus won a couple, David won a couple, uh, Devlin won a couple, and, hey, the championship went down to the wire, was settled by one point. And good for that champion, but we didn't really see that champion stamp their authority on the season. So, do I think that's going to happen between Linus or Kyle? Probably. 
Would I love to see Malukas do that? Yeah, because that would go against what we've seen from him. That would be really cool. Like David Malukas as the breakout star of the 2021 Indy Lights season. Man, I would love that. Uh, So I'm excited about where we're going. But man, I really hope this doesn't just turn out to be a bunch of people who have equally good seasons and it's really hard to figure out is there a real animal ready to go to indy i'm just burped and i'm not gonna edit that out uh to indycar (laughs) um the only one that i've mentioned time and time again that i expect to go to indycar if he has a good season is devlin de francesco um other than that you know if kyle wins and has that million dollar advancement prize I think he's going to have a pretty easy time finding a home, uh, whether it's Andretti or Coin or wherever. Don't know. But um, beyond that, be interesting uh, to see how the others really try and build relationships during the rest of the year uh, to maybe, you know, see what opportunities exist if they end up with that million dollar, a uh, little over a million dollar advancement prize. Uh, Tony Chef 20 with the low rungs of the road to Indy ever consider racing at the local bullring tracks that often showcase stock cars. These places are around the same size as Lucas Oil Raceway with similar crowd sizes. It could expose a newish crowd to open wheel and get the young drivers oval experience. Um, possible. Yes. Up to safety standards. I know we're talking generalism since there were no tracks cited. Uh, I would probably say not to the shorter bullish ring type places that I've been to. Um, yeah, you really want to hit them in vehicles that are, you know, uh, production based with roll cages and roofs and all kinds of stuff surrounding you or even, you know, sprint midget, whatever else, uh, that is, you know, still a lot of metal around you. Uh, junior open wheel cars made out of carbon fiber, yeah, uh, not a chance in hell. Uh, let's see. NC Baller X 88. It's got to be a Reddit. Yes, it's a Reddit question. Marshall, I hope all's well. Being that it is the 60th anniversary of AJ Foyt's first 500 win, can you re release the episode that you did with him and Robin Miller? For context, that episode is no longer available on Google Podcasts. I believe due to its age. Well, here's the awesome thing, NC Baller X eighty eight. None of my podcasts have disappeared. Every single one is available. If you go to MarshallPruittPodcast dot com, I believe all of them. I could be wrong, but I think all of them are available on uh, Apple Podcasts. Again, age might be a thing, uh, but. Every single episode has been posted on marshallpruittpodcast.com. And the little search button option towards the top right of the homepage, that is your best friend. So any topic you can think of, uh, you should be able to pull up uh, by name, by series, by whatever. So no need to re-release. It is there. I might think to post it to just drudge it up and share it again but don't wait for that yeah so marshallpruittpodcast.com uh i never promote it and i'm sorry i just 
that's a weird thing about me. I'll just share. Like, I know that I do this, and I don't do it for myself solely. That'd be a weird thing if I just recorded this and then listened to it myself only. But, like, the, hey, go to my site and see my thing and listen to this and all that, and, hey, go, go, go. I know I should do more of it. I just I always struggle with that because I feel like uh, if you have any idea that it exists and you want to listen, you do. So I think what I just told you is I'm a total marketing failure. The end. Um, so, yeah, go check it out. Another sip of beer. Hopefully no more burps in your ear. Hey, that rhymed. Alex Conger from uh, Facebook. Alex, I don't know if I've read a question from you before. And that's because you say, MP, no question. Just here to remind you to defy everything. Alex, I am. And I should have mentioned, I said that we weren't doing anything special for the fifth anniversary of my podcast. I lied. We are doing tramp stamps. We are doing defy everything free tramp stamps. That's right. Brought to you by none of my sponsors. Um, Just brought to you by me and a very sick, not very funny sense of humor. But hey, uh, who doesn't want to look at the lower back of somebody and see the words defy everything there? Maybe that's a bet. Oh, we got to... Maybe I need to, um, maybe I need to pose that as a bet to every driver that's on for the rest of the year. Hey, what is it that you might win where the wager would be if you win this thing, like this really almost impossible thing? If you were to win this, would you agree to get a tramp stamp? right how many drivers would say yes probably none there might be one that's what i'm hoping to find who is the one driver that would say they would get a defy everything tramp stamp if they won the championship Indy 500 whatever i want to know that driver i mean i already know all of them but i really want to know that driver is there one that would say yes i mean there's some that have tattoos some like Kanan, maybe the one with the most, probably. Um, yeah, he'd punch me if I tried to make enforce him to get that. But uh, yeah, uh, I am Alex. Gonna just keep defying everything. Uh, where else do we go here? Jeremy Davis, MP. So Simona Di Silvestro signs with Preda Autosport uh, with Penske's assistance, and Simona is a factory driver for Porsche. During that introduction press conference of Pred Autosport with Penske backing, both Simona and Beth thanked and mentioned both Roger Penske and Porsche multiple times in separate responses and answers. Now Penske is signing on with Porsche for IMSA and the WC. Also IndyCar, which Penske owns, is still working on a third-engine manufacturer. Don't ever change Jeremy Davis. It all has me thinking, is this to get the red carpet out for Porsche to join IndyCar as the third engine manufacturer? Or is my brain trying to connect too many dots here? Oh, I love... This is a nod to you, Indy Merrick. I love this part of our sport. The Meyershank Racing has hired Elio Castro Neves for six races. Meyer Shank Racing is sponsored by Sirius XM. Sirius XM, we believe, is trying to improve 
their market penetration in Brazil. Did Meyershank Racing hire Elio Castro Neves to grow their audience in Brazil by having him drive a car six times this year? I just made all that up, by the way, but for some of you, might maybe that came across as real. Or did Meyer Shank Racing just say, hey, we've got a young driver. We've got some extra crew. We've maybe got some extra funding coming into the team. We want to try and school up the young driver and learn some smart things from a guy who was with Penske for 20 years. Maybe we should hire him to be in the car for six races. Yeah, pretty much the sum total. But if you wanted to, my dear friend Jeremy, we might be able to come up with some very interesting threads and strands of connectivity that don't exist. So I just mention all that for reasons I don't really understand, but hey, that's where my brain went. Um, Simona is employed by Porsche. In order for Simona to drive a not Porsche, her team and herself would need to get special permission for that. Not a surprise that in the official announcement, there was a lot of thank yous being paid to her employer to keep them happy, who at any point in time could say, no, we've changed our mind. Um, was there something as far as an agreement to use her that required the thank yous of Porsche in a press conference? No clue. Um, I know that that's been required in some other things in the past, not related to them necessarily, but just, you know, um, you're going to say thank you to us and make sure we men get mentioned X amount of times and you bow and scrape in order to get this thing. So there's that. Um, how's this? <laughs> if Roger Penske, who has ties to Porsche that are almost as old as I am, if Roger Penske wanted to see if Porsche would become the third engine manufacturer, he would call them, my friend, and say, Hi, would you like to be our third engine manufacturer? We give good back rubs. I mean, we're, we're good. We great chefs we're gonna have just nothing but f flower petals on the ground whenever you walk into the paddock w would you would you could you would you be my boo porsche roger can make that call at any time could have made that call at any time fairly confident in saying has probably had that discussion uh since he took ownership of the series uh, probably also helped IndyCar prior to his ownership of the series get connected with Porsche when they were thinking about it and ultimately did not go forward with anything in 2019. So just say this, when the too many connections of the dots comes to mind, just realize that if you're having to go that far down the rabbit hole, and the guy we're talking about, Roger Penske, owns Earth and has long old deals with Porsche and a new one with Porsche coming up and would like them to be his engine partner in IndyCar 
while he already has an engine partner in Chevy, um, he just has to pick up the phone, brother. So I just, I'm having a little bit of fun here because, you know, it, we're a little bit over time and it's my show, so I get to have fun. But, yeah, whenever you go, whoa, I'm trying to connect all these dots, and is that really the re-? You go, no, 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 If Roger Penske just wanted to do it, he'd pick up the phone. It's like in IMSA. If IMSA wanted a manufacturer to consider taking part in their series, um, all founder Jim France has to do is pick up the phone and say, hi, I am Jim freaking France, and I'd like to speak to your CEO. And they'll say, yes, sir, and put them on the phone and they'll have that conversation. So not saying the decisions are easy, nor am I saying the decisions are a yes. Obviously, we've heard nothing about it being a yes from Porsche. But the we're going to have this, and then we're going to have that, we're going to bring this person, we're going to sign this, and then we're going to get that, and then da, 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 and this is all the secret pathway to Narnia. Nah, man, there's no super closet they got open uh, to get there. Like, it's just RP using, I'm hoping, what is a flip phone? Wouldn't that be baller if RP used a flip phone? Um, just flipped open that whatever, that Razor, Motorola Razor, and it went boop, 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 and called whomever. Uh, 25 tab. Hello, Marshall. I hope you and Chabrell are having a good day. We are. I have a rather pointless question. Thank you. Uh, don't be surprised if I have a pointless response. Why does IndyCar NBC treat podium celebrations as an afterthought and basically ignore them? I understand about why that is the case that the 500 in Texas has its video screen of fire and shooting the guns. Just seems like a great way to show off the talent that is IndyCar. Also, podium celebrations are fun. Instead, we get some post-race interviews, which are good, but the podiums really make the broadcast or they're in the background while commentators are talking or interviewing other drivers. Yeah, I hear you. Um... You know, they're not all Super Bowls, my friend. Uh, They're not all, let's bring up 17 people to the podium and pass around the trophy and talk to everyone and get the reaction from the quarterback's sons and daughters and whatever. And, like, you know, uh, I would say, and this maybe isn't totally applicable to everything that we've seen in the four races so far this year, but I would say if you have Texas, for example, where it's not a actual podium, it's just the winning driver. You're going to get an interview with a winning driver. Great, but how much time are you really going to spend there? Um, I'd say it might also be a little bit subjective in terms of was the race like amazing? Oh my God, we need to go to the podium because all three drivers, you know, we really want to hear what they all have to say. You're going to hear first place, maybe second, but you know, uh, are there some races where you go? yeah, maybe not a lot of time to spend in victory lane. Whereas others, it might be, geez, I don't care about the guy in fifth. Stay there. That's the story. Holy cow. Run all the crazy replays from the race uh, over, you know, podium celebrations because that's where we need to stay. So I don't know. Maybe those two things. Um, I hear you. You want to celebrate, no doubt. You want to let the winner and or whomever up there have their moment in the sun. Um, I always feel like we're rushing to uh, to get the podium in. I shouldn't say always. It's felt like that so far this year. Like, all right, hey, cool, Juan, and how you doing? And then we got to go. And you are going to hopefully get some overtime interviews, you know, uh, and whatnot. But, yeah, I do feel like it's felt a little bit rushed. But uh, I also 
don't know if any of the four races jumped out to me like, oh my gosh, oh, it was amazing. Got to stay there. Uh, let's see. Duncan Butcher, assuming the recharge time can get down to acceptable levels. Other than sound, can you think of a reason for IndyCar not to run the same rules as Formula E in the late 2020s? So the rules are set to replace the 2023 car. It says they put on a barn burner for street course races. Yeah, I mean, some. Um, some, for sure. Bigger question here, I'd say, Duncan. Uh, running the same rules as Formula E, I struggle to see that. Uh, just because, hey, should we do the same thing as someone else? It's rarely the, the guide to you know, standing out in the marketplace. Say the overarching question here, you're asking, hey, how long do you think internal combustion engines are going to remain a thing in IndyCar as it seems like most of the automotive world is heading towards uh, significant, if not total, electrification by the end of the decade, early, mid, next decade? Yeah, that's a that's a bigger question for sure. I don't know how many of the older fans who hate and rail against the idea of electrification will still be with us then. So I don't know if there will be a, a sentiment change that would be more open to this. I don't know. I, I, know, I, I don't know. There is a excitement level that I think comes with sound from the cars that is just really hard to overlook and especially coming back to the tradition part that seems to be so interwoven seems that is so interwoven in indycar uh i think that might be something that requires a lot of thinking um do I think the average IndyCar fan cares whether the thing making the car go forward and go fast is a internal combustion engine that makes natural sound as a result of those combustions through the exhausts for folks to feel and hear and give a concert-like sensation when the race is happening? Or a fully electric vehicle going at that same high rate, high speed, high everything with fake sounds, right? I mean, speaker technology certainly exists. Software exists. I believe there's one or more fully EV cars today that have fake engine noise as an option. Do I think in 2030 folks would be upset if the cars they saw going around Indy at 2.30 or whatever the number is are fully electric yet sound like pick the era holy k you know fan vote alright well you know this team's going to be sounding like old naturally aspirated Offenhausers we can do that you guys you're going to sound like turbo offies you Cosworth DFX's you over here, you're going to sound like Oldsmobile 4-liter IRL V8s. I don't know. Uh, if this is where the world's going, you at some point got to go with them. Every sport, you know, that relies on technology is going to have to bend 
to that technology at some point in time. If the manufacturers who make engines are no longer making internal combustion engines, but they are making electric motor generator units and blah, 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 and that's where they want to race and promote, uh, I don't see how you can say no to that. If you want that money, want that promotion, want that relevance. So if we just assume, Duncan, that big, high, crazy power like we used to have in the FIWC LMP1 hybrid era, if that's something coming to IndyCar and we are fully electric or mostly electric by 2030, the ability to fudge and play and make up the sounds that you want, I think if the cars are going, looking looking and sounding like we expect, I just wonder if anyone, if I should say anyone, if the majority of fans truly are grumpy about, no, we got to have things that burn fossil fuels or synthetic versions of fossil fuels. I don't know. I, I almost wonder if we might be happier if we could pick the soundtracks and have that be what we get at the Indy 500 and the Long Beach Grand Prix and the wherever else as long as the performance is there, as long as the manufacturers and marketing and, you know, the interest is there, if IndyCar does indeed become relevant to the world's automotive sector again, like those are all big wins to me. So I only know internal combustion engines, Duncan. That's my life and history of everything. But, I mean, look, I'm not married to it. The things that I did and the technology on the race cars that i worked on as a first year rookie pup in 1986 like you'd look at them now and go what did you all have death wishes what is wrong with you and yet in 1986 that was the cutting edge all this stuff moves along so i expect it's going to happen here i can't see a reason why they would model themselves after formula e aim much higher and maybe my little podcast could be like a solution provider for some of the in-car sounds because I got a lot. Uh, all right. Where are we going here to close the show? A couple here quickly. Paul Trahan uh, says a third time. Sorry, man. Uh, MP with the 20th anniversary you're driven and your 20th anniversary plus a month piece coming up. Might be a little longer, but I'll try, Paul. Um, thought we could all discuss something rarely if ever discussed about driven. Drum roll, please. Accuracy. We all know Driven is full of inaccuracies, but what is something from Driven that you found to be highly accurate? Good luck. Also, Driven is now available for streaming on Amazon Prime. Don't do that to people, Paul. Don't don't do that. Uh, that's the big bone of contention here, the accuracy part. I did happen to catch this when you sent it in, so I did, unlike most of the questions, spend a moment thinking about it. And I don't know if I can come up with any. I really don't. Um, All the plot lines and tropes and whatever else were so disingenuous, so not found in racing anywhere, Uh, either way overplayed, uh, turned into cartoon-type level of inaccuracy, um, just top to bottom. So I know I'm kind of giving you the conclusion of my 20th anniversary piece, and it's not maybe not even a conclusion. It's just a central theme. It's 
the frustration for those within racing about this movie that I refer to somewhat lovingly as the worst racing movie ever made. And I need to qualify that because I don't do it often enough. When I say that, I don't mean for non-racing fans. For those who knew nothing about racing who watched it, you might have loved it. There are some. I've had uh, two people, a couple people write in and say, like, hey, I know you're always taking the piss out of Driven, but, like, it truly turned me on open-wheel racing. You know, I saw it. I didn't know anything about open-wheel racing, and holy cow, I love it, right? As a result of that movie, I am an open-wheel fan, and that's amazing. Just saying for those of us in the sport, in the industry, it's the worst thing ever made. And the biggest foul is if you read about, if you read Stallone's quotes and thoughts and whatever else, he talks about wanting to transfer this amazing sport. Yeah, it might be dramatized a little bit, but, you know, try and bring the realism that what makes these drivers so special and the cars so insane and just all these things, right? Wanting to bring this to the wider world through film. Oh, boy. I wish he had never said those things. Um, because if that was the goal, that's where the biggest failure comes from. And that's the frustrating part, Paul, where you go, man, the, again, the, this cart era, one of the greatest years of IndyCar racing ever, 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 ever. Amazing. I was there. I saw it. I can vouch for it. I was there watching driven being filmed. Like, right. It was real. It's amazing. And what they turned out was nothing gave no indicator of what makes these drivers amazing athletes, these cars, incredible machines. Uh, there was nothing. And I realized that it didn't have to be a documentary. I'm not even saying that, but in any really good sports related movie, there's usually something you can latch on to and go, Oh wow. Okay. I didn't know that about pitching. And these are some of the things that makes a pitcher incredible or average. These are some of the concerns and worries and the, whether it's the mental toll or self doubt or this or that you go, wow. Okay. It's amazing. And run through again, a lot of these different things and they end up being character studies. Sometimes there's some really cool action involved and scene and we're finished. Cool. Uh, everything that was related to this movie about, Oh, the young kid, he's losing his, losing his confidence and you need to bring in the mentor to show him. But the old guy never wanted to go, but he wants to show he can win, but there's a fight here. And Oh, there's the ex wife who's dating the, this who's, who's the, the that and the, we're going to tell every instruct everyone how to drive and what to do and when to pass and what line to take and when to shift and when to think and when to fart and when to like you go. And then every five minutes, there's some sort of explosive moon launch crash over and over and over and over. And and then you go, it's, it's Rambo goes racing, right? It's big scene after big scene after big scene of explosions and fire and this and that with some really gruff dialogue that doesn't really give you much of a character insight Right, and I shouldn't say Rambo one. That was actually, I would say, a pretty damn good movie. Uh, it's just they're like, oh, you like that? Well, wait till we do a number two. Here comes the cartoon and Rambo three, and 
you know, kind of like the Rocky movies. You go, wow, that first one was amazing, but then it just kind of turned into, well, guess what we're going to do now? We're fighting Mr. T. We're fighting even Drago. We're... Anyways. So that's the thing where you go, wow. You'd hope you'd gotten Rambo 1 or Rocky 1. Uh, what we got was the later movies where you go, okay, uh, we're just going to throw out all reality and hope that you like it. And for those who didn't know what they were looking at and were just look, just saw something loud and exciting and explosive and whatever, awesome. The hook was baited for whatever I think might be a small percentage, but it worked. The sad part for those of us in the sport is that everything else was trivialized to the point of being laughable and gave none of the players who invested their money or hope or whatever for it to be a big thing to draw people in. It kind of gave them nothing. Gave them nothing. So, yeah, and it all comes back to the accuracy, Paul. That's the one thing where I'm like, man, I wish I could tell you that this is it, you know, but no, I mean, it had one of the central pieces of the movie. Paul is the biggest foul in every racing movie, the shift pass, right? Oh, you want to pass somebody downshift, step on the gas really hard and you go by them. It's in, I think every racing movie, at least in the last 20 years or however, right? shift pass i mean it's it's in talladega nights for god's sake and that's truly just taking the piss out of every that's a straight up comedy Uh, i might have got a better character study and understanding what it's like to be a race car driver through ricky bobby and dennett racing beforehand and whatever else and uh, the whole thing is meant to make you laugh and then we saw this years before, and you go, yeah, you weren't trying to make us laugh. Ah. So there you go. All right, two questions to go, and I'm realizing that, Ryan Terpstra, your question about uh, you sent in haiku. It didn't make it above the line. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, well, Jim Kaiser said, one thing you must know when it comes to this podcast, I'm the haiku man. That was in response to you sending in haiku, Ryan Terpstra, to try and get it in the show uh you say uh place this above the the cutoff line um you put in some haiku but i won't read it because uh as jim pointed out the man who puts together our questions is indeed the only person allowed uh to do haiku uh you're mentioning the article that my pal davy malsher did about uh, red tires and some inconsistencies at st pete uh, you said three drivers were cited off the record Seemed to recall a few years ago, Firestone discovered some inconsistency with how the mold release was applied, uh, but we never hear Firestone complaints. Have you heard anything on the subject? Um, I love you, Ryan Terpstra. You're our little fire starter. So, yes, on our show, sponsored by Cooper Tires, we're not afraid to talk about other tire brands, positively or negatively. Do need to frame this in a little bit more, I would say, important way. And that is this. 
I don't know if this is dodging the question. I know that I'm not trying to, but this is my this is what comes to mind. Was alerted to Davies' article. Some of you may know I really don't read what other people write in the same space that I write, and it's not because I think I'm better. It's just because I try to keep whatever ideas I have or motivations to write stuff kind of coming out of my own head as often as I can. It doesn't always work that way, but it's the thing that I reference every now and then about comedians. Like really, you know, there's some comedians who try not to really watch other comedians because they don't want their jokes to kind of creep into their own set just organically. So I don't really read a lot of what other people write about IndyCar or IMSA or whatever else just because I try and stick to whatever I think is the right way to do for myself. So whomever it was said, hey, did you see this, by the way? What have you heard before you did, by the way, Ryan? Um, But you brought it up here, and I apologize for missing this for a couple weeks now. Um, I haven't written about this because it's nothing new to me. And... So that's not a criticism of Snoop Mousy Mouse, who's a dear friend. So again, there's no like professional anything here. Like truly love the guy, um, former colleague for many years, still very close. So uh, Davy's excellent at what he does. Period. End of statement. I wasn't there. I wasn't receiving those words from people to be interviewed directly. So that's probably one reason why. Um, it might not have jumped out to me at that time as like something to write about, even if multiple drivers were saying things off the record. But just the overarching thing here is complaints from drivers, whether it is inconsistency between sets or just quality. Uh, and this is a generalism, right? It's not specific to one track, but just sharing here not uncommon to have drivers say some very non-complimentary things and that's been the case for a little while now does that mean they're right firestone's wrong no doesn't mean firestone hasn't made some mistakes or there hasn't been some trends that uh haven't gone in the right direction and drivers who are very tuned at feeling those things haven't felt them no um but this as i read it did not stand out to me ryan as a whoa bombshell oh man it landed with me as yeah if i was at saint pete talking to those drivers um i would probably have heard the same thing and if i go to the indy gp this weekend which i'm not unfortunately and spoke with certain drivers who i know are amazing at providing very detailed feedback about tires not all drivers are uh there are some who are like tire whisperers in that regard if i were to go and speak to them who i know will tell you I love these things. They're amazing if they're amazing or, oh my gosh, these are terrible if they're terrible. Uh, I would hear whatever they had to say about this weekend's tires. Um, but I can tell you for sure that over the past couple of years, hearing complaints about general quality, grip, degradation, or in the St. Pete uh, specificity about inconsistency uh, among reds 
none of those things would land with me like, whoa, got to stop and write a story. Even if it's all off the record and I've got 20 sources and write, I write a whole encyclopedia about it. It wouldn't stand out as a shocker that I needed to go to print with because it's just has been a somewhat common drumbeat in recent years. Does that mean I shouldn't write it about it at all? No, but I would say if we get to a place where you go, wow, okay, the complaints are now at a higher frequency at more tracks and there's an, a, a growing concern that there's something wrong that really needs to be addressed. I'll absolutely write about it. You know, never afraid to write the hard story. I know that because the pushback and arguments and the uh, email or call from whomever, whether it's a team, a driver, a, a supplier saying, please fire that idiot. Like, you know, I know, <laughs> I know this to be true because when those calls come in, I might not the feedback immediately, but I'm always alerted and it's, you know, it's a constant. So just say that while this stood out as something to write about and big thumbs up to Davey for sharing the truth of those drivers as they observed at St. Pete, it would take something really unique for me to be compelled to write about it just because it's not abnormal to hear those things within the last few years um where are we going here kyle matthew levine curious your thoughts on oliver askew it looks like uh all but maybe one or two any 500 rides are spoken for um to my knowledge he has zero funding for an indy 500 seat i heard there were hopes some would come through but hasn't um uh, impossible i don't i can't imagine anything's impossible but um yeah as you mentioned great to see him get the opportunity imsa alongside jared andretti in an lmp3 car yeah whispers that i hear could be maybe oliver doing a couple end of season races maybe in uh a fifth andretti hot rod i'd love that if they're able to raise the budget, I think that kid is capable of doing some special things. I think the stuff he went through last year has only made him stronger. So, yeah, uh, boy, I really want to see the 2019 Lights Champ get another shot with a different team. Uh, the Andretti team is one, obviously, he knows very well. It's a culture he's fully immersed in. Love to see how he goes uh, in a race or two to close the year. If Michael can make that happen, however, I think that'd give him a really important look into whether uh, Oliver is someone who uh, is worth considering uh, trying to find the budget for for a fifth car next year. Uh, we're going to close the show. I apologize to all those of you who I didn't get to. I'd probably need to record for another hour and a half. I've gone way longer than I expected, but, you know, uh, Juan Montoya, it is what it is. Uh, Bill Potter, Marshall, first question in uh, too long of a time. Oh, thanks, man. It says, let's say we do a sliding doors moment on the 2002 Indy 500. Paul Tracy is declared the leader on lap 198 and the eventual winner. How would that shift have affected the last 19 years? And apologies in advance for all the permutations. This is, I love stuff like this. And it's good that, 
you know, we're just kind of saying we're going to keep going until we decide not to. Uh, as a winning Indy 500 team, does Team Green not sell Michael Andretti the majority interest in the team? And how would that impact the careers of Tony Kanon, Dario, Franchitti, etc.? For Paul Tracy, does being forever introduced as Indy 500 champion, Indy 500 winner, you can't be the champion of a single race if it doesn't decide the championship, uh, temper him to an extent? Does he become the Dancing with the Stars celebrity that Elio eventually did? But maybe most of all, how would an appeals ruling against Team Penske affect Roger Penske's relationship with IMS and IndyCar? Would losing an appeal have soured the relationship to where he would no longer have bought IMS and IndyCar down the road? Or would it have hastened the move? Cheers, Marshall. Well, that's an amazing question, Bill. I love the way your mind works. I really do. Like, if that ever ran through my brain, it was super fleeting and not developed to any level like you did. Yeah, I think Paul Tracy's career definitely goes in a different place. Um, his opportunities at the Speedway petered out a bit. You know, the uh, end of his career, know that there is some, you know, not good pulling out of line and all kinds of stuff that happened to, to close the chapter. But, you know... Elio, while he has been the extra car for Roger for the past many years, um, since moving to sports cars full-time, I would say provided he delivers this year for Meyer Shank, even if that relationship comes to an end, I think he continues getting an invite to the dance because if he's still a threat at 45... I think that maybe changes the, I think it definitely changes the view on Paul. He's an Indy 500 winner, a a rightful winner, right? No question, no acrimony, just straight up Paul Tracy, Indy 500 winner. I think that extends his career, uh, even if it's just in the one-off capacity. But hey, it's not as if he demonstrated anything other than he could get the job done in 2002. Let's be really clear there. It's also that, yeah, but in the ruling, gave it to Elio. Uh, The political side as well, CART versus IRL. There was just a lot of ugly baggage there that I think maybe clouded any views of Paul as a, oh my gosh, we got to have that guy. I mean, you know. He might not have been given the win after a ruling by the IRL, but yeah, he's the rightful winner. I just think in general, minus all the drama and nonsense, if we're just talking Paul Tracy straight up won that race, nothing else to talk about uh, or has come afterwards to talk about. I do think his career extends a little bit. On the Team Green side, that's a really interesting one. Uh, For all that michael has achieved if all that comes on the heels of paul not winning i would say i would never want paul to win that 2002 race because again you think of all the championships indy 500 victories everything that came afterwards right i mean i know danica patrick started with ray hall letterman lanigan nearly won the thing 
amazing foundation of her IndyCar career. The real extension, though, the the many years becoming the the fan favorite, bringing a lot of attention, you know, that came in uh, Go Daddy Green at Michael Andretti's team. Um, uh, the relationship with Honda slash Acura, right? Think about, again, this is Andretti Green racing, so I know it had evolved, but, you know, Team Green does not sell any stake to Michael Andretti. Did they become part of the Acura IMSA LMP2 program? Right now, this again became Andretti Green Racing, so there, it was a sp- split between both sides. But again, just curious, the relationship that was developed with Honda and Acura—that's only grown into much bigger and greater things. I know they had that diversion to Chevy, uh, where Ryan Hunter Ray won his title and such. Um, but nonetheless, I do wonder: do these things kind of manifest and flourish? Um, you know, there's so many, as you said, the permutations to consider uh, here. So, got to admit, I kind of sort of like the way it played out, noting all of the history um, that has been born from it. And, you know, it's nothing to do with Paul Tracy. It's just looking at what all has happened as a result of history playing out the way it actually did uh i'd probably lean in that direction um for the rest of you who sent in questions who did not get them answered again i apologize uh this show would be four to six hours every week if that was the case um part of me wonders and i don't know how many of you are still listening um if some of you have questions where you're like, man, I really, really want to get those answered that are you sent in and did not get answered this week, send me a note, send me a direct message with your question. So I'm putting the onus on you. If there are things you really wanted me to answer, but I did not send me a direct message with your question that you submitted in it. That'll be the way that I can compile them. And uh, things are about to get crazy hectic for the rest of the month. We've got seven appointments. We've, we knocked off two of them today. But we have a crazy busy week on the home front. But I realize that this is probably the last little stretch of time where I might get to answer some of the uh, ones below the line that I did not get to. Some of you have mentioned in some of those, hey, I've sent this in once or twice, and I apologize. Just, again, there's one of me in only so many hours, and uh, nobody's going to listen to a four- to six-hour podcast. So if you really want me to get to it, please do as I just asked. Do that on, uh, I guess you could do it on Twitter or Facebook. Facebook's probably the easiest. I know that's kind of the old man's social media platform, but hey. Uh, Direct message it to me some how don't email it to me uh direct message it i'll compile it and then we will say hey any of the old legacy questions that haven't been answered they've been answered they're done and we can just stick to uh, whatever we get to going forward all right i am marshall pruitt this is the marshall pruitt podcast brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com I don't think I can finish the beer in one swallow, but uh, thank you for sending everything in. Appreciate you. And uh, I'll look forward to your DMs.